This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Good morning, everybody. Hey, summer is here, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. All right. Hey, uh, my name is Ron, and as Diva just said, I'm going to be speaking about the number one reason that people walk away from their faith in the United States. Interestingly enough, it's, it's, it's not the number one reason in the rest of the world. But in the United States, Canada, and Western Europe, it is. So since most of us have backgrounds in those areas, and, and most of us live here, uh, this will be a very important subject. Before I jump into that, I want to talk to you just a moment about the thing you just saw on the video screens about Global Leadership Summit. There are two things that continually flow out of your life that you are powerless to stop. One is time, and the other is influence. If you are living, you are influencing. And so I would say to you, why not up your influence? Why not get better at it? Because here's the truth. When you get better, everybody in your world wins. Everybody does. And that's what the Global Leadership Summit is about. For those of you who come regularly to New Life, and if you came for the first time this morning, you could be considered a regular attender. We'll take you back next week if you want to come as well. Uh, We will be hosting the Global Leadership Summit right here in this auditorium. I wish we could host it live, but it goes to a little over 400,000 people worldwide, so it'd be a little difficult to get all of them in this auditorium. So... We are a premier video host site. We set up an IMAX size screen that pretty much fills this opening and you will forget it's not live. It's absolutely fantastic. There's a flyer on your chair where you can turn it over and see the the faculty. They are absolutely outstanding. For the rest of the world, it's about a $200 seminar. For those of us at New Life, it's an $89 seminar. Do you like those odds? Yeah, that's pretty good, right? Here's what you have to know. This little card that you probably dropped on the ground already once, all right? The reason I made it so small is so you can put it in your pocket because the code that's on that is the code you will need to have in order to get the $89 rate. Does that make sense to everybody? It's only for people at New Life. So there you go. Enjoy that. We will be registering people at, at a kiosk out in the lobby this Sunday, next Sunday, and the following Sunday. You can register online. All you have to do is go to our web page, pull up the Global Leadership Summit uh, page on it, and, and there's a place right there that says, uh, if, you, if you go to New Life, register here, click it, and you're ready to enter that code, fill out the registration, and go. For those of you who have never been to the Global Leadership Summit, We are offering a taste of the summit. It's coming up in two Sundays in the afternoon. I have already seen the talk. It is absolutely fabulous. Anybody here ever work with somebody that makes you feel small and that tries to control you? Yes, it is an amazing talk about how to work with that kind of person. Some of you are going, I'm married to them. (laughs) Then you better come right? Because the amazing thing is, uh, according to the data, what 90%, 89 point something percent of us believe will work, 
as the number one way to deal with a person like that actually does not work at all. So I, I, won't, I won't give you a spoiler alert. You've got to come to hear the rest of that, all right? So now, having said all that, let's jump into this subject that we're going to talk about today. We're, we're going to do a little review. We're in the middle of a, uh, of a series called Who Needs God? And we have taken a path down uh, for about four weeks, and we have learned that no matter what we believe about God, whether Christian, non-Christian, atheist, other, none, whatever, not, not as Kevin goes, not none like that, but non-affiliated, Whatever we believe about God, it leads us to some unsettling realities that we just can't get away from. The best and the brightest minds in the world who have chosen to be atheistic tell us that if you actually believe in atheism, you must believe that your mind is simply a chemical reaction over which you have no control. You must believe, therefore, that you have only an illusion of free will, that you're not actually accountable for anything you do, that you only have an illusion of value because, after all, you are a clump of matter that is taking place with chemical reactions and that there is only an illusion of morality. There is no real morality. Morality is just a term we put on the behavior we would like from other people. That's what they're saying. If you're a Christian... You have to believe in an invisible God. And we noted that if you're talking to God and you're building a relationship with an entity that you cannot see or hear or feel or touch, and it was anybody but God, we would come and take you away and think there was something wrong with you, right? That's a little unsettling. Paradoxical truths. Many of the things that Jesus taught run absolutely counter to our nature, Almost everybody has heard, turn the other cheek. What does that mean? Jesus said, if somebody hits you on one cheek, turn the other one and give them a free shot. That's not natural for anybody, okay? Non-negotiable morality. You know what I know? We have a morality that's handed down to us by God, and we didn't get to vote on it. And that's not very American, right? And we struggle with that. And last of all, injustice for all. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Injustice for all means that when you look at our world and you try to make justice out of it, you will absolutely spin your mind out of control because you cannot make justice out of what's in our world today. Those are some unsettling realities of Christianity. Some of us got a childhood version of God. And we were told that God loves me, and therefore we came away thinking that God wouldn't know what to do without me. In fact, he's kind of lucky to have me. And it really is all about me. He rewards me. This is Santa Claus theology. If I believe in him enough, and I'm good enough, he's making his list, he's checking it twice, and if I pass, I'm going to get my wish. He, he protects me. This is one we're going to deal with particularly today. And that is we were taught that God protects us. And therefore, when we see bad things happen to good people, we go, what's up with that? And it causes us a problem in our faith. And, and But some of us grew up on the opposite side of the coin. We grew up in hellfire and brimstone churches. And we were taught, oh boy, nothing you do is ever good enough for God. Get ready to do penance and a lot of it. <laughs> right? Remember, if you don't comply, you're what? You're going to fry. Yep, there you go. So... We also learned that our faith doesn't primarily rest in a book. And I want to say this clearly, okay? This is a Bible. 
And my faith does not rest on this. I have faith in this. There are many reasons to believe, and they're actually undeniable if you look at them objectively. There are many reasons to believe that this book is not like any other book, that it was divinely authored and it is reliable, and you can actually count on what it says. But I can tell you this, I'm not a Christian today because somebody convinced me this was God's word. There's nothing in the Bible that says you build your faith around believing that, that this is God's word. What, the, what actually Christianity believes is that our faith rests on an event. And the event is this, that God left heaven and he came to earth to tell us the truth about himself. That's why we celebrate Christmas. And that God not only came to earth to tell us the truth about himself, he came to earth to give us a living physical demonstration of how God acts and what he does. And that's why people were so drawn to Jesus, because he was God in human flesh. And that God loved us so much that he actually gave his life for us. And you say, how could I believe that? The reason you can believe it is because God did the most unthinkable thing. If he said to us, how would you like for me to prove that I am God? And we said to him, why don't you let us kill you and then raise yourself from the dead? He said, Amen. And because he did, And because hundreds of people saw him and they carried their witness to the ends of the earth, that's what our faith rests on. Which is why, friends, we celebrate Christmas and Easter, but we actually don't celebrate the day they collected this and made it a Bible. Got it? Because our faith rests on the life of Jesus and his death and resurrection. In That's a little mind stretcher, I know, for many of us, all right? We learned last week, and and Sarah already talked about it today, so I'm not going to run through that, that God is spirit, God is Father, and God is love. So today, we're going to look at three big questions, and the first big question is this. Is the existence of pain and suffering in our world a legitimate argument against the existence of a loving and just God? Is it really a legitimate um, argument. And we're going to look at three different things. In fact, we are going to explore the worlds of logic, history, and the Bible to arrive at the truthful answer to that question. So here's how our logic typically works. If God is loving and God is just, it goes something like this. If God is God, he could, right? If we literally believe that God could do anything um, and nothing is impossible for him, well, if God is God, then he could wipe out all suffering and injustice in the world. If God is good, well, then he would. Why wouldn't he? I mean, I'm not all good, but I'm pretty good. And if I could wipe out all suffering and injustice in the world, I what? I would. So if I would... Well, if God is loving and good, well, he would. 
And then last of all, if God is just, he should. When we see someone or something that's being treated unjustly and unfairly, and we have any sense of justice in us, what do we do? We jump in, right? And we try to make that thing right. So this is how we approach this subject. And this is why many of us have struggled with this question, because those are very logical. And before I I jump into that, I want to give sort of a footnote here. And the footnote goes like this. It's unwise, it's unfair, and maybe even insulting to hijack someone else's pain to draw your own conclusions about God. Do you know why it's unwise, unfair, and maybe even insulting to that other person? Because many pe- for many people, pain and suffering ends up being the path that actually leads them to God. And when you hijack their pain and suffering and you walk away from God, you basically communicate to them, if you had a brain, you'd do what I'm doing. And yet, in many cases, this has been the path that actually drew them to God. I want to point you to a book written by Dr. Francis Collins. It's called The Language of God, and it is A Scientist Presents Evidence for Belief. And now, you got to be a little bit of a nerd to read this book. Not, not really, you could understand it. But Dr. Collins led the Human Genome Project in which they mapped out the genetic code of human DNA. And it is phenomenal. The map ended up to be so technical. In every one of your tiny little human cells, you have DNA. And the genetic code in that DNA, if it was typed out by a computer... On, on, um, at 12-point type uh, for 8.5 by 11 pages, double-sided and stacked up, it would be taller than the Washington Monument. That's a serious code, don't you think? So he led that project. He is a brilliant guy. He currently directs the National Institutes for Health and did so under President Obama and continues to do so under President Trump. So he's a brilliant guy. He writes this book, and in this book, he talks about the fact, briefly, out of kindness to his daughter, that one of his daughters was sexually assaulted, and it was somehow through the pain and the injustice and the suffering that their whole family went through that actually led them to faith in God. So be very careful when you get bitter at God over somebody else's pain. You you probably should look at your own. Now, I want to start with another thing that's important for us to understand. And that is Christians have never made an argument for the existence of a loving and just God based on a world where bad things never happen to good people. Have you ever heard anyone say, I'll tell you the reason I believe in God, because nothing bad ever happens to somebody good. No. And yet people walk away from faith because they think, Somehow, that's what Christians believe. We don't. It's just not true. It's not an acceptable reason. Okay? Here's what you you and I need to know. Injustice in the world calls into question the justice of God, not the existence of God. 
And we're going to press into that quite a bit in the rest of what we talk about today. But I want to let that settle with you, okay? The existence of pain and suffering in the world does not call into question the existence of God. It calls into question the justice of God. And that's why really in the end, it makes more sense to be angry than to be an atheist. Okay? So now you may have come to church today angry at God or questioning God. And I want to tell you, I'm so glad you came to church. And, and I may not answer all your questions about this today. It's okay. You can come back. Because God is not in a hurry. God, God, God will continue to work with you. And church is a place where you should be able to ask any question that helps lead you to the truth. And so I'm just so glad you're here. Even if you came angry at God, because at least you recognize that God exists, even if you don't like what he's doing. So this brings up a really important question that I think you'll find interesting. So where did we get the idea that God is loving and just? I can tell you when I dug into it, the answer surprised me. Because we, in America, in Canada, in Western Europe, sort of assume that people have always thought that God was loving and just. Turns out, we couldn't be farther from the truth. So let's take a little walk back into religious history. One of the oldest religions in the world, and certainly the world's first superpower, was Egypt. And Egypt had a religion that we typically refer to as Egyptian mythology. We can trace its its uh, practice back to at least 3100 BC. And what did they teach about God? They taught that there was a system of gods. And interestingly enough, over the over the long span of Egyptian dynasties, their systems of gods tended to change and certain ones were considered better than others and and, and it was sort of a growing uh, system of gods that punished and rewarded people according to their deeds. Doesn't that seem sort of natural to us? That God would reward or punish us according to our deeds and therefore this was their conclusion. Pain and suffering were the result of failing to please the gods. So if things are not going well in your life and you got some terrible disease, it's because somehow you made some God out there somewhere unhappy. If the rain doesn't come, well, we've made some God out there, probably the rain God. We've made the rain God unhappy. If, if there's a plague that hits our land, it, well, we've made some other God unhappy. Because the deal is, in, in this... Is there anything in here about a loving God? Yes or no? No, it doesn't even address the subject. There is something in here about a just God, however, right? Because it's believing that when life doesn't go well for us, we're getting what we deserve. That would be justice, okay? The next major um, religion that we can trace in terms of age... We can trace Hinduism back to 1900 BC and some of its tenets even earlier than that. And Hinduism teaches a complicated system of gods that punish and reward people according to their karmic debt. 
If you know anything about Hinduism, you know that they believe in reincarnation. And you get reincarnated in the coming life based upon what you did in this life. So if you're having a tough time in this life, you're getting exactly what you deserve because of something you did in a former life. And the idea is that you would get better and better and better at life until eventually you sort of get absorbed into the great whatever is out there. But basically what's going on in your life right now, pain and suffering are your own fault. Okay? Now, I have a question for you. Is there anything in here about a loving God? No. There's a just God who judges you by karma. Okay? If you move forward, Judaism is sort of the next thing. The Jews always believed that God loved them and looked down on everybody else. After all, they were the chosen ones. So, if you have a problem in your life and you're not a Jew, that's your own fault. Okay? Because God doesn't really care about you. So you're going to get whatever you're going to get. Okay? If we have a problem, it's probably because we've offended God. And so pain and suffering of others is a result of not being chosen by God. That's pretty much how the Jews looked at the world. Then you move forward and and the Greeks are the next to appear on the scene. And uh, we typically call this Greek mythology. We can trace it back to about 700 B.C., And they had pretty much the same idea as the Egyptians. They had a growing system of gods that punished and rewarded people according to their deeds. Pain and suffering were the result of failing to please the gods. Anything in there about a loving God? No, not there at all. The next people that come on the scene are are the Buddhists. And it it sort of came out of Hinduism. Uh, We could trace it back to 500 B.C. when Buddha lived It doesn't even teach that there's even any such thing as a God. But there is karmic debt. And if you follow the eightfold path, then you can be, you can achieve enlightenment and escape this continual reincarnation, which basically means pain and suffering are your own fault because you're getting exactly what you deserve. The next people on the scene are the Romans and they borrowed heavily from the Greeks. And they had this same growing system of gods that punished and rewarded people according to their deeds. Pain and suffering were the result of failing to please the gods. So this is the history, the religious history of the world that Jesus came into. And the Romans were ruling the world when Jesus showed up. Wow. And then you know what? Jesus, who is God in human flesh, drops the religious bombshell on the world. And here's what Jesus says. God loves everybody. There's one God, not many. He is a personal God, not some sort of life force. He's an actual being. He loves everybody, and everyone has dignity. And listen carefully to what he says about pain and suffering. Pain and suffering are the result of a world broken and riddled by sin. Can I tell you, that was radical theology. No one had ever taught this or anything close to it. No one had ever even thought those thoughts. Because they're very unnatural to human beings. That's why it took God coming into our world to say, time out, let me tell you the truth. This is how it works. This is what happened. So here's how Jesus taught it. He said, love one another. 
in the same way that I have loved you, that I, God in human flesh, have loved you, well, then you go love one another. This is how everyone will recognize that you are my disciples, that you follow me. Because as we learned last week, if God is love, and it's the single dominant characteristic of who he is, then people who follow God should be people of what? Great love. Now, now one of the guys standing there when Jesus taught this was one of the twelve apostles. His name was John. And John wrote this, Let us continue to love each other since love comes from God. Because God is love. And not just love like I love ice cream. This is how God showed his love for us. God sent his son, his only son, into the world so that we might live through him. It doesn't say that God sent his son into the world to execute judgment on all sin and all pain and and all suffering and injustice. Why did God send his son into the world? He sent his son into the world so that we might live through him. That we might experience a quality of life that we were completely incapable of experiencing until Jesus came. If you think that's strange and you think, wow, I I heard something similar to that when I grew up. But believe me, it didn't sound nearly that kind in the church I grew up in. If you think that's strange for you, try saying that to a bunch of pagans who always viewed God as angry and somebody they had to keep on the good side of. Paul, who was one of the apostles of Jesus, was standing in the epicenter of the religious world at his time, a city called Athens, and he was standing on the top of the Acropolis, um, and, and he said this to the people there, and we'll... Catch a little backstory first. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with Paul when Paul was talking about this amazing event that happened that God invaded the earth, told the truth about himself, that people killed him, and he raised himself from the dead. And and they said, what is this babbler trying to say? I mean, it was so far out of the box. They couldn't believe it was anywhere close to true. Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods, as in not familiar ones to us. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the what? And the what? And the resurrection. That's what our faith rests on. They brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus. You know what that is? That's the religious muckety-mucks, all right? Call them the religious posse of Athens, all right? Where they said to him, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we would like to know what they mean. You know why? Because, do you remember what Jesus taught? God loves everyone, and everyone has dignity and value. And the reason that was so foreign was because Jesus introduced those truths about God when there was neither justness nor dignity in the world. 
You realize the world that Jesus walked into? Women had no rights. Not only could they not vote, they couldn't even testify in court because their witness was considered unreliable. They could be divorced for any reason, and they had no legal rights. Children had no legal standing in the world that that Jesus came into. Slaves had no legal standing in the world that Jesus came into. Foreigners had no legal standing in the world that Jesus came into. People who were blind or maimed or somehow had some, what people considered a defect, had no legal standing and, and most often could not even get a job. They were reduced to beggars. Jesus walked into that world and he says, you see that child over there? God loves that child. And in fact, that child belongs to his kingdom. Bring that child to me. Put him on my lap. I want to bless him. See this woman caught in adultery? By the way, do you remember what they said about the woman caught in adultery? I'll fill you in. They said, we caught her in the very act. Now that might have been a little embarrassing, don't you think? But you know what's conspicuously absent? I'm 90% sure there was a guy there too. (laughs) But they didn't bring him. Because women had no dignity. Yeah. This was a foreign concept to how the world ran. You know why? Because when you remove God from the world... It gets scary. Remember, one of the first slides I showed you talked about atheism. So let me show you something. This is by Stephen Hawking, who is considered the most brilliant atheist in the world. And this is what he wrote. He wrote, the terror that strikes my mind is that when we have arrived on the scene because of evolution, because of natural selection, and natural selection assumes natural rejection. You've all heard all those terms before, right? Look at the conclusion he comes to. Which means we have arrived here because of our aggression. Our only hope for mankind is that we are able to move to other planets in our galaxy and split up because if we don't split up, we will eventually annihilate ourselves. Now, that's an unsettling reality. Yeah. Here's what I want you to know. It's because of what Jesus taught us about God that we have any idea of what love for everyone, justice for everyone, and dignity for everyone is like. That is a uniquely Jesus concept. And somehow, we thought it was American. And turns out, nope, we're just about 2,000 years behind. That, that's a Jesus concept. In fact, if we removed God from the world, we would be left with this sort of justice. My justice, your justice, clan justice, ISIS justice, majority justice, street justice, rich justice, power justice, and that list could go on for quite a while, right? Yeah. Jesus said what we often call the golden rule, and that is do unto others as you would have them do unto you. I've often heard it said, you know what the real golden rule is? He who has the gold makes the rules. (laughs) Rich justice. Got it? Yeah. 
And in fact, if the God of Jesus is really loving and just, this is our big question number three, does he address the problem of injustice, pain, and suffering in our world? And my friends, this is where it gets very good. Okay, let's dig into the Bible for just a minute. Jesus, fortunately, the Jesus who taught us that God is love also taught us that God is just. And there's a dilemma between those two that we will jump into in a minute. Jesus told a story one time about a lady who went to a judge who was a godless judge who cared nothing for justice. But this woman kept going to him day after day after day after day. And finally he said to himself, I'm so sick of that woman. I'm going to give her justice so she'll get out of my life. And then Jesus said, if you who are evil understand what justice is and eventually work for it, he said this, will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones? who cry out to him day and night. Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice. Wow. The very next verse after this poses an interesting question. However, when the Son of Man comes, that is to execute this justice that God's talking about, will he find faith on the earth? I believe Jesus put that in here because he knew that when we looked at the suffering and injustice in the world, it would be an absolute test to our faith. And he wanted to tell us, hang on, justice is coming. Now here's an interesting truth about all of us, and that is we want a God of justice, but we don't want judgment from him. Anybody see a problem there? Yeah. Yeah. That's the dilemma that we have. We want justice in our world, but typically it's for them. Because if you came to church and all I gave you was the judgment of God, you would go, I'm not coming back. I felt guilty before I walked in. I don't need to feel more guilty. I want to know, can God do anything with this mess? Right? So... Here's God's dilemma. Let's start in this column. Jesus taught that the root or the cause of pain and suffering in the world was sin. And God said, when you sin, this is what comes in the package. Pain, suffering, and injustice. And so God is loving and just. So God had a choice. Do I respond here or do I respond here? So how did a loving and just God respond to our sin? Well, here's what the Bible says. God loved the world so much. There's the first hint. Which side did he land on? On the loving side, right? God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son so that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Now stop right there. That's God's initial response. He responded on the loving side, but it doesn't stop there. He goes on to say, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands what? Oh, there's a justice term right there. 
Yeah. So here's what we know about God. His initial response is love. His eventual response to sin will be justice. Now let's go back to that chart again. And let's, let's be grateful that God's initial response was here and not here. Because if God's initial response was here, what about us? There would have been no one to love because we're all here, therefore we would all be wiped out here. And so God said, this is my first response. The Apostle Paul wrote about this uh, to the church in Rome. And I'm going to read you a little more lengthy passage than we normally read. But I, I, want you, I want you to get it. Because Paul's very clear about this. What we suffer now, does he admit there's pain and suffering in the world? Yeah. What we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. Wow. Now, interestingly enough, God says, I know there's a lot of pain and suffering and Christians go through a lot of pain and suffering and everybody does. I have a plan to make it up for you. And actually what's coming is going to be so good, you're going to forget about this. It's not even worth comparing. But it is true. It's all we got right now. We got plenty of this. He goes, for all of creation is waiting eagerly for the future day when God will reveal. There's something in all of creation, including inside you, that yearns for justice to be served. We all got it. It's part of God's nature in us. What's God going to reveal? Who his children really are. Those are the ones who decided to believe and live by faith. Against its will, all of creation was subjected to God's curse. God said to Adam and Eve, if you sin, this is what comes in the package. You're not going to like it. It's awful. It's terrible. But they sinned, and that's what they got. And because we're their descendants, well, that's what we got. All of creation was subject to God's curse. And in particular, he, he says which part that is in, in a minute. But with eager hope, creation looks forward to the day when it will join with God's children in glorious freedom. And here's the, here's the curse he's talking about of death and decay. Wow, Jesus said, if you believe in him, eventually you're going to experience a thing called eternal life. That's the opposite of death and decay. Now, all of creation has been groaning, and we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of the future glory, for we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. Are any of you tired of living in the body you got? Well, if you're over 60, you, you are or you're lying. Okay? I can testify to that, all right? We long to be released from the sin and suffering. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children. Fantastic passage of scripture in which we see God's initial response of love, but his eventual response of justice and setting things right. So it all comes down to this. And this is really what Jesus says. We can choose to accept God's offer of love now, or be treated with justice later. That is the big choice. So what can I do this week? Well, if you have already made that choice, well, then you can be grateful for the hope and the assurance that you have through Jesus 
Just spend this week saying, in the midst of my pain and my suffering and the injustice that I experience and all the trouble that's going on in my world, I thank God this is not the end of the story. It's not even close to the end. Because whatever we're suffering now, it's not worth comparing to where we're going to go. And of course, if you're a skeptic or curious, please come back to church. Great place for you. But at least understand that God gives you the opportunity to choose and accept his loving offer of grace, mercy, forgiveness, and eternal life through Jesus. And that, my friends, is why the message of Jesus is called good news. It doesn't get any better than that. If you're ready to make that choice, I'm going to lead you in a short prayer. Here's what you say. Dear Jesus, thank you for coming to earth and telling us the truth. Thank you for initially responding in love. Today, I accept your offer of love and grace and forgiveness and eternal life. Thank you for offering it to me. I accept it now. I pray in your name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, thank you, thank you. God bless you with a great week. We will see you next Sunday. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.